0: We're spending this time leading up to Christmas, leading up to Christmas Eve Sunday. How often does that happen? You know that Christmas Eve is on a Sunday and we're going to be worshiping it, our normal morning times, nine thirty and 11, and then again in the afternoon, two times. So however it works for your family, however it works for your family, but I'm going to give you a heads up on something. Usually, usually we find that the earlier services fill up first, and so with that in mind, with that in mind, um, we're guessing that the early service in the morning might be pretty full, and the early service in the afternoon might be kind of full. And so, depending on how it works for your family schedules, just giving you a heads up on that. All the services will be the same, and and um, we're, we're just gonna. It's gonna be very family friendly. And it's going to be very gospel oriented. So if you bring some lost friends with you to the service that day, they're going to get the opportunity. And hopefully seeds will be planted that you can then go home and talk about around the Christmas table of who God really is. Because that's what we've been trying to talk about all leading up to. this just the truth about God. The truth about the, the incredible gifts that God gives us as he gives us his son. The truth about God. And we framed it around that idea of the gift exchange, right? And, and maybe I'm just being goofy with it, but, but I just have this picture in my mind of the two busiest places is the, the checkout line the day before and the exchange line the day after, right? For people, for people who somehow, I, I, I don't know if this is you, maybe, maybe it's just me, you know, but uh, there there's some people who just really, they're, they're gift people you know, and, and and when they receive a gift, I mean, if you can give them a gift that just says, I know you, I get you, I see you, you know, and and there's sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this time when you open up a gift, you know, and it's not what you were looking for, and you kind of have this this social moment of needing to to show appreciation and needing to show gratitude, but there's something in your heart that says it missed. And maybe you feel like somehow in your approach to the Lord that somehow it just hasn't clicked into place yet. And if that's you, if that's you, I just want I'm so glad you're here today because we just want to talk some uh, about, the, about the truth of God. Here, here's the line. Here's the line. It's the, it's the great prophecy of Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, the people walking in darkness, right? And that would be you. The people walking in darkness, that, that, that would be me. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. And maybe you find yourself today in kind of one of those deep darkness seasons. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. In fact, could I just pray that over you right now, Lord, in Jesus' name? That you would, that you would give us, Lord, just this glimpse of joy, this, this taste of joy, this aroma of joy, Lord, that would surprise us. Lord, Even if it seems a long way off, it says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. You've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their back, the rod of the oppressors. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And and let me just tell you, that's not, that's not just, you know, baby Jesus, meek and mild. That is the one who, who came. Under cloak of weakness, because he would be the one strong enough to save us unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and and man i i, I don 't want you to miss this I, I just found this this it just dawned on me that the same word, the same word. The government will be on, it's the same word that Jesus says when he said, when he was leaving, when he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given. It's not, it's not just about government. It's not about bureaucracy. It's not about, it's about, it's about there is a God and he is in charge he is in charge and he is the difference making God. That's who is coming for us. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says, it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a branch will bear fruit and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's what Jesus came to do. It's who Jesus came to be. And we want to know the truth about God. We want to know the truth about God. And in Romans chapter one, it talks about some of the gifts that God gives us, the glory of God. Oh Lord, give us eyes to see who you really are. The truth about God, Lord, give us hearts to understand and somehow grasp who you are and what you came to do and the knowledge of God. But it's not just a, it's not just a head knowledge. It's not just a between the ears thing. It's, a, it's the kind of knowledge that Paul was talking about when he said, I want to know Christ. If there's anybody who knew Christ, it was Paul, right? But he says, I want to press on to know Christ. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. I want to know Jesus like that. I want to know Jesus like that. One of the great theologians of the previous century, he said this, A.W. Tozer, he said, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I read that, when I think about that, when I chew on that, what I'm hearing is what comes into our minds when we think about God, it kind of, tells something important about us. It kind of opens up a window to our own souls. It opens up a window to our own neediness before the Lord. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And one of my favorite, one of my favorite translators of scripture, J.B. Phillips, he, he said this in that same line of reasoning. He said, your God, trouble God. Trouble with so many people today. Your God is just too small. Your God is just too small. Can I tell you something in the times when I find myself in deep darkness? It's times when I've let my God get really, really small. The times when I find myself, when I find myself discouraged and not seeing the way out, not seeing the light at the end. Those are the times when my I've allowed my understanding of God to get too small. And and here's the thing, y'all. Picture it this way, in, in everyone's life there is a throne room and on that throne is a place that is reserved for and only fitting for God and God alone. But if you're not careful, almost anything else can take the place of God on the throne of your life. So here are a couple of questions I want to invite you to just, just hold on to. Just chew on for the next, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes or so. Maybe as you leave and work your way through this last week before Christmas, to just kind of chew on and hold on to question number one. What do you know about God? What do you know that you know about God? Not just what you are afraid might be true about God. What do you know that you know that you know about God? And question two is really important. How do you know it? Because if you don't have a pretty authoritative answer to question number two, then your answer to question number one is suspect. What do you know that you know about God and how do you know it? Do you know it because Oprah told you? I mean, nothing against Oprah. She's precious child of God, same as you and me, but she didn't have all the answers. What do you know that you know about God and how do you know it? If you don't have it on the authority of scripture itself, if you don't have it on the authority, God said so. If that's not where you base your knowledge of God, well, what comes to our mind when we think about God tells an awful lot about us. And then this last question, maybe it's just a play on words. Maybe it's just me. But are you knowing him? I mean, what do you know about God? How do you know it? But then this is a different one. It's not a one and done question. It's an, are you in the process of knowing God? Are you in the process of knowing God more and more, better and better, more and more deeply? Are you knowing him? Or are you still walking in darkness, still living life in fear with the rod across the back? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing in Romans chapter 1, where we've been looking this whole season. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about these gifts from God. It talks about these gifts from God, the glory of God, the truth about God, the knowledge of God. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of God. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. And birds and animals and reptiles here's the thing here's the thing in that throne room of your life almost anything you i have you can pull god right off the throne of your life and put almost anything else in his place in any given moment the checkout line the exchange line you can exchange They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, give us eyes to see. Yeah? Eyes to to see when the sun comes up in the morning, who you are. The glory and the majesty. Eyes to see when the sun goes down in the evening. Eyes to see who you are. Lord, give us eyes to see it. Allow that to draw us to you, Lord, instead of having our eyes drawn from you. They exchange the glory of God. It, it, they exchange the truth about God. What do you know about God, right? They exchange the truth about God for a lie. And did you know there's an enemy of your soul who's a liar? Did you know there's, a, there's the world, the flesh, and the devil? They, they want to feed us. All sorts of alternative explanations for what's going on in our hearts. And it says when people exchange the truth about God for a lie, they will wind up worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator. And then it says they turn their back. They turn their back, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. But I want to know God. Don't you? I want to know God. I want to know him. I want to, I want to press on to take hold of him. Oh. So what do you know about God? What do you know about God? The truth about God, right? I mean, John told us the truth about God. God is light and in him, there is no darkness. I heard somebody say one time, this is what I know about God. There is a God and I'm not him. God is light, John says. And in him is no darkness at all. God is love. God is love. And whoever, whoever loves God is born of God. But if you don't know love, you just don't know God. Because God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8. God is good. To which you're supposed to answer back all the time. All the time. And then I'm supposed to say again, and all the time, and you're supposed to say, God is good. What do you know about God? I mean, what do you know down in your bones about God? What do you know deep in your heart about God? When Jesus was talking to his disciples, just before he left this world, he gathered his disciples, and he said, I'm going to the Father But if I go, be sure I will come again. I will receive you to myself. John 14, and Philip, just in exasperation, Philip just said, Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Philip said, uh, Jesus said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I talk to people sometimes, and they'll say, you know what, I love Jesus, but God scares me. No, I'm they'll, they'll say, I love Jesus. I love, I love the Jesus who feeds people. I love the Jesus who receives the children. I love the Jesus, you know, who is, who is so good and, and sticks up for the underdog. I love, I love Jesus who cares about the broken people and the hurting people. And I love Jesus, but God scares me, you know, cause he's so judging and he's so, you know, angry, and he's jealous, and oh, I love Jesus, but God scares me, and, and yet Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because God is light, and God is love, and God is good. God loves you. I don't know why, but he does. He loves me. Mm. So I want to read you something. It's from Acts chapter 17, and and, and and you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read it to you. You might want to mark it down so you can go back to it later. It's a very important passage in Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 16. It's one of those times when the apostle Paul, he's traveling around from place to place, but he finds himself in Athens ahead of the rest of his group, you know, and and uh, he's waiting for the other guys to show up, but he gets there ahead of the rest of the team, and, and Athens at the time is this intellectual center of the world. I mean, they're just, they're just, uh, I mean, it's not Rome. Rome is the political center and it's not Corinth because that's kind of the, the sensual center. But Athens is the intellectual center of the world at that time. And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, it says he was greatly distressed. And then I'll tell you something. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, all sorts of alternative explanations of who God is, all sort of alternative truths, everything you could think of to pull God off the throne of your life and put a counterfeit in its place. Paul was waiting for them in Athens, greatly distressed because the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. And some some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus. It's Christmas time, right? Good news, great joy, all people. He was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Oropagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening the latest ideas, sounds like our time, doesn't it? People who do nothing but talk and listen, talk and listen, talk and listen. More talking than listening, but still. What's actually being accomplished is the ball being moved forward. People who spend all their time doing nothing but talking and listening, just making noise. It says, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and he said this, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very, religious i'm so glad you're in church today right i'm so glad you're here it's the right place to be but if you counted on being here as being the thing that's the difference maker in your life you may be barking up the wrong tree paul says i can see in every way you're very religious but very religious doesn't cut much mustard with God. I see that in every way, you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. Just trying to cover our bases, right? Just trying to make sure that we don't ab- ab- you know, accidentally offend some deity that might take it out on us. And so if some other God shows up, we can say, oh, this one was for you. There's even an altar to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship, which, by the way, is not always the best way to uh, build bridges and share the gospel, right? To tell people, by the way, you're ignorant. Paul didn't mind. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him. God did this so that they would seek him and, and perhaps reach out for him. And find him. Though he is not far from any of us. And then it goes on and says something else a few verses later. It says in the past. God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It seems callous to tell people to repent of their ignorance. You don't repent of ignorance, you educate ignorance. If someone's ignorant, you educate them. You don't just tell them to repent. Unless, unless it's a willful ignorance. Unless it's kind of ignorance that Knows the truth and looks the other way, unless it's an ignorance, an ignorance that is uh, lived in and walked out. Because remaining in ignorance is easier and more convenient than actually looking face to face at the truth. So, what is the truth? What is the truth about God? Well, the truth about God, according to Acts chapter 17, according to Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, the truth is God is God and there is no other. God is God. He is over all creation. He is over all people. He is over all time. He is the God who from the beginning said, let there be light and there was light and it was good. It was more than good. It was beautiful. The truth about God is that God is God over all creation, over all people, even people who haven't heard his name yet. That's why people sacrifice and go across oceans to carry the name of Jesus to dark and hard places because all people everywhere need to come to this understanding of who God is. The truth about God, God is God over all creation, over all people, for all time. From before the beginning until long after the final trumpet, God is God. The truth about God, the truth about God is God doesn't need me. I need him, but he doesn't need me. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my worship. He doesn't need me, but I need him. You You remember that great song of theology back in the 80s? right? That the, 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 the taught us, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you. But don't be sad, because two out of three, I'm sorry, that was, not a, that was not a theological song. Can I tell you something, though? God wants you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants you. I don't know why he wants me. I don't know why, but he wants you and he loves you, but he does not need you. He does not need you. I hear people all the time say to me, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid that somehow along the way, the life I've lived, the choices I've made, I have let God down. Can I tell you something? You can't possibly let God down because you were never holding God up. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need, he doesn't need your money, right? I mean, praise God for people who are generous and they give and the kingdom advances. Praise God for that. But God doesn't want you for your money. God doesn't want you for what you bring to the table. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He wants you. He loves you, but he does not. He doesn't need my worship. If I don't worship God, it doesn't diminish the fact that he is God. If I don't get up to see the sunrise, it still comes up. And he still marches it across the sky and puts it to bed at night. Even if I'm not paying attention, God doesn't need me. He doesn't need my worship. He doesn't need my money. He wants me. He loves me. But he does not need me. and He doesn't need you. He wants you. Oh. I mean, g- could I just could I pray this over you for a second? Lord, in Jesus' name, that we would have eyes to see. That you are God and there is no other. Lord, would you give us, would you give us hearts to comprehend, Lord? That you are so far beyond us. And yet, Lord, you love me. Lord, help us hear that. Help us hear that. So let me give you this. Let me give you this. The truth about God. God wants me to seek him. It said God did this so that they would seek him. Remember how Jesus said it? He said, "He said, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. So that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. You know what that is, right? I mean, we love it. We love it when people come to church and they're not so sure about all this Jesus stuff. We love it when people just kind of want to come in and kick the tires a little bit and just kind of sniff around and see if it's for real. And our prayer is, our prayer is that when they, when people see, when people who don't know Jesus yet, when they see, I'm not even sure I believe this stuff, but I can tell that you do that it would cause them to sort of take a second look at Jesus. That they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him. You like that time when you kind of have this awakening in your heart? And if you don't know how to pray, you might just be one of those people who just sort of has this aha moment and says, oh my God. I need you, I need something, I need someone, I need you, oh God, I need you, that they might seek him, and perhaps reach out for him, and find him, boy do I have good news for you. Seek him, reach out for him and find him, even though he is not far from any one of us. He's not a God who is somewhere out there. He is a God who put on flesh to dwell among us, to know our sorrows, to meet us in the darkness and turn on a light. Oh, do I have good news for you. God wants you. God loves you. Oh, how God loves you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute? Because precious ones, it's time to repent. Because nothing I've said to you today has caught you by surprise. You already knew all this stuff. Nothing I've said to you has caught you off guard. You know. You know because God created it into your being who he is. So Lord, in Jesus' name, would you allow us this morning the privilege of Seeing through the lies of the enemy. The ways that I've let you down. That I fear I've sinned a sin that separates me so far from you that I can't come back. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you show us the truth. That you love us. That you want us. And you've made the way for your children to come home. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you expose all of the counterfeits that I've allowed in my life to take your place? And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe today is a day. Would you stand with me? Maybe today is a day for you to topple the counterfeits off the throne of your life and come with a heart that says, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you take your rightful place on the throne of my heart? Would you take your rightful place on the throne of my heart? Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Come back into my life. Maybe today's your day to have this heart that says, even though you've known who God is, you've known God for a long time, but maybe today's your day to say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to press on to know you. I'm not satisfied with life as I've received it. Lord, I need you. I want you. I long for your presence. I long for your touch.